Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. You're tuned in listening to the Cinematic Odyssey here on U92 The Moose. I am your host, Tristan Rodriguez, alongside, by my side. I got to, we got Max here. And today we're having a, a special guest, um, Judah, friend of mine, close friend of mine for many years. Uh, this is something that he's mentioned to me that he's been wanting to do. Um, and now finally is the time he's finally come on uh, for this week's episode. And we're going to be talking about Night of the Living Dead. Uh, this is a, a classic horror film, uh, one of the very first uh, zombie films uh, from, from my recollection. Um, and this is from the legendary director, George Romero. Uh, this man is responsible for basically pioneering uh, the entire zombie, zombie subgenre of horror, um, introducing techniques and and uh, motifs and, and themes and um, I guess tropes as a whole in in the zombie genre. Uh, this is the very first film that he made. I I think this is his debut. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm I'm gonna go off the assumption that this is his debut, and off the rip, it definitely shows its age. Um, that's for sure. Um, it's not like particularly scary. Maybe in 1968, this was probably a scary movie. Um, but I think what more of the um the the uh the brilliance from it is less about, I guess, the zombies themselves, but more about the um, the commentary found within the film. Because uh, there is a lot of dialogue in this in this work, uh, quite a lot. But, you know, I want to get your guys' uh, impressions on it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a cult classic, as, you know, we kind of... You mentioned it is it is Romero's first film, but it, it and it has many many iconic scenes, lines, development, the the plot being pushed around by uh, news and television reporters really, um, kind of a depart from a uh, departing from like stuff happening to the uh, survivors stuck in the house, um, kind of just being forced to sit through it, dealing with the uh, middle of an apocalyptic crisis, as opposed to, you know, focusing on, like, aftermath and recovery from something horrible. This is, like, as it happens. I'm not in the cult. I was scared, uh, be- but that's because I'm a little fraidy cat, and I don't deal well with stress and other emotions in that vein. Um I'm also incredibly glad that this film was not in color because I don't do gore. I would have not watched approximately 10 minutes of this 98 minute film. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, solid pioneering work, but also not my cup of tea. And I can talk more about this later, but it just felt unfinished or unresolved. Mm. Judah, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. To kind of piggyback off of that, there were there were certain shots in the film 
where I was like, oh, they kind of cut corners as far as like the practical effects. Um, you know, one scene comes to mind where uh, two of the characters are walking up the stairs of, you know, the house that they spent most of the time in. And, you know, the main female character walks up and sees this skull and it's kind of like rotted away. The lady's dead, super gross. And I think it's one of the iconic scenes that people talk about because, you know, it is shocking. You know, there's good shock value in that. But then about, I want to say, it was like 30 minutes later, they decide to explore upstairs. And they're not showing the face anymore, but they drag away the body. You can see out of the corner of your eye that the face that you see initially is just practical effects done up by makeup artists but the body that they drag away the face is completely fine so i noticed that and was like oh so that that isn't somebody's actual face you know they just kind of stuck something there and so as far as like the practical effects you know this movie was made decades ago so obviously there's going to be a little bit of a you know discrepancy there but that's just one of the things I noticed. I noticed there was also some abrupt uh, film cuts in it as well, where I was like, oh, like they didn't have time to reshoot this or they didn't have enough film, period. So they had to like try and make those transitions smooth, but you know, they ended up becoming a little bit noticeable over time. But he also, yeah, I don't know if you guys have, saw it. Yeah, you gotta, I mean, also too important to note that. This was shot on a sh- a shoestring budget, so it was they didn't have much money available to them to make this film. So, given what they had available to them, I think uh, the product was was uh, well, obviously very successful um, in terms of the reception and the critical reception and the commercial reception. Because I mean, George, this this catapulted his career as a as a filmmaker. Um. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. It's certainly rough around the edges. But I think those those things are expected, I suppose. Considering it's you know it's his first film, there wasn't much technology. Well, even if there were, they they didn't have really access to it because they were just kind of filming everything on location. Uh, with people they knew and, um, you know, kind of just working with what they got. But, I mean, despite that, I thought, I don't know, I guess I was expecting more, considering the, um, the, uh, the status that this film has, um, amongst, like, horror, uh, circles, and, you know, obviously it's George Romero. So with that name involved and it being his his film, I was expecting something. Uh, I don't know, a little bit more. Mm, I don't know something there was like that it factor. I guess I don't know. It didn't seem like I I really got that in this in this film. I mean. We could attribute part of that to he went into the filming with an unfinished script. He didn't have everything written down, ready to go. He kind of just said, here's what needs to happen in the scene. 
however you get there, get there. And so most of, like, Barbara, her lines when she's in the house are improvised, are not written down anywhere. They are her creating kind of what the moment is, not being told what the moment is. Mm. Didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. I don't know they do. I mean, like there are pieces of that that are they're present all throughout. It's you know, it's not really a. It 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 doesn't flow super well. Is I mean I think that the the news reports and the the opening scene, the opening twenty thirty minutes, are very good. And then it kind of tails off because. Any conversation between the two, any any conversation between any two characters sucks, if uh, to put it lightly, because they don't go anywhere. They say the same thing over and over, and it's the unstoppable force meets the immovable object for two minutes, and then they say, fine, we'll do it some other way. Which, you know... Whatever. I mean, like, they fight all about, you know, should we go into the uh, cellar? Should we go into the cellar? Should we board up the windows? There are too many windows. How many times do we say that there are too many windows? How many times <laughs> did we say <laughs> that the cellar has only one way in? How long did we debate what's in the cellar? I mean, yeah, I gotta say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Some of those characters become easily hateable very quickly. Yeah, the the that guy. Yeah, what was his name? Harry, right? Uh, Mr. Harry, right? Mr. Cooper or the uh... yeah yeah Harry Cooper, who kept saying that he kept complaining about. No, we all need to go in this. We all need to go in the basement or the cellar or whatever. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just said the same thing over and over again. <laughs> Before Cooper came out of the uh, the cellar. I was. I already had kind of part of a review planned in mind, which was the most impatient man ever and the most useless woman ever. <laughs> oh my! That's. I was saying that to Judah. I was like, "This dude is so impatient." Yeah, we yeah, said like most most patient man in Pennsylvania or something like that. Yeah, most patient Pittsburgh resident. <laughs> yeah, he had no chill. He had no chill. But um, but yeah. Um, also too. I mean, um, like all of these, all of these people are just. I mean, I want to. I want to say all of these people are just f probably friends of George. Like they probably know him in a personal way, personal capacity. Like the the act the all the main actors and actresses. Is that true? I mean, I mean, I I I don't know. I'm going through them. I don't think so. But uh, I Judith O'Day who played Barbara. This was her first uh, film role. Um, Dwayne Jones. This is his best known role. Actually, he went to Pitt. Oh, really? But, um... 
It, this was also his first role, so I think he went for the amateurs. He went. Uh, this is again low budget. So yeah. he's, he. I mean, they did hold casting calls, and Dwayne Jones, oh. who played Ben, was cast. Okay. But um, like not their not not that they're pals, but like they weren't stars. Because well, yeah, you, yeah, of you course. can pay the stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it you know it sucks. It's I wish, I wish I could like see. I mean, I also I was falling in and out of sleep while watching this. <laughs> so... Shame. I was terrified. I watched it during the daylight hours. <laughs> the stark contrast between our two reactions from watching the movie. You were scared, yeah. and I was like falling asleep, <laughs> struggling to stay awake. Yeah. Oh man. This is why we got to get you watching some more scary stuff. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not looking forward to the bonus episode. That I'm actually <laughs> like terrified to watch. Uh, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we get to that at the end of the episode. <laughs> we're, not, we're not gonna. Say, we're not gonna spoil it yet. Not um, just yet. Yeah. Um. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, and I th- I think part of the reason why I was just not really interested in it too much, or it wasn't, well, main reason I wasn't really staying awake. Well, I was tired for once. That didn't help. But also, too, I think <laughs> the film, I think the film was um, there was so much, like in the middle of it. I don't know. It kind of slogged, bogged down by all the dialogue, for me. Like it became less yep. a horror film and more of like a, I don't know, a play, and not a play. I don't know. Just people were talking, and that was about it. I didn't really get much out of those those sequences when the news was on. Although I I do I I can see that that trope, like kind of, uh, birthing in terms of when it comes to these apocalyptic films when when news. That, that like news is like the first thing you kind of see like if news reporters are kind of just you kind of see that in these types of yep. films um children so that was of certainly men. yeah children of men had that yeah um, Shaun of the dead this is the end uses it um it's yeah you're right it's a heavily featured trope yeah and obviously George, um, or whoever thought of the idea, I'm just gonna assume George thought of that idea. But he he was obviously the first first guy to do that. Um, and also too, what what is also refreshing is that you know with a lot of these new zombie, newer zombie films, most of them run. I mean, with the exception of The Walking Dead, although that's not a film, that's a show. Uh, we were joking about um, the the things that the zombies were doing, like in the beginning of the film when they were in the cemetery. Oh my that, gosh, yeah. Uh, he grabs the brick to, to break the window as he's trying to get, get in and, and kill Max. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and <laughs> it's just like smartest zombie ever. 
it was just so interesting to see that. I mean, you want to talk about terrifying. They're not slow. They are slow. What do you mean? They're, they they can, I mean, either Barbara is slow as hell, or that zombie is gaining ground quickly. I mean, she could not outrun the zombie. Like, okay, they're not like, okay, okay, well, they're not full-on sprinting, was, like. But I mean, it like was still quicker than, it, it was quicker than how a lot of zombies are portrayed. But also, like, the idea of the hunter not really needing to eat, just needing to kill. Like, poor poor Johnny. That's his name, right? Johnny, the brother? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor Johnny, yeah. Gets, poor Johnny gets his head slammed on a headstone. That could be a pun. Um, <laughs> and the, the, then the, uh, the deer zombie just... Yeah. He just looks up and he says, you're next. (laughs) Subtextually, not verbally. But, uh, like, like another one bites the dust. Not necessarily, oh, good, I've caught my prey and I'm going to eat this one now. It was, uh, good, one down. You're next. I'll eat you. Yeah, and I think, um... I think that like plays into the, it plays well into the paranoia of the characters because it's like they don't really know what's happening, you know. No one really knows what's going on. Everyone's just kind of confused, but they know that they're in danger. But that's about it, you know. Um, yeah. And that fear of the unknown is very uh, prevalent in the theme of this film, where and and. Cause I I was reading I was reading some some reviews and people were making I guess Romero was trying to have like some social commentary with regards to America at the time, um, societally speaking. Uh, you know this is 1968, so if I recall, like. At this point, a lot of political leaders have been assassinated. Yeah. Yeah, JFK I got could. murked. MLK yeah, got murked. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm X got murked. Um... <laughs> Poor choice of words, sorry. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, that was the, sorry, out of pocket, out of pocket. For Christ's sake, just call yeah, it a okay. skill issue and be done with it. Damn. Oh my god. I mean, I thought you were gonna well, go with Vietnam. Well yeah, that too. Well, Vietnam I was gonna get to that. Um correct me if I'm wrong, but they're still they're still at war with in Vietnam, correct? At this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I figured. Um, yeah, under the Johnson administration, right? Yeah, so, yeah I mean, I think... That. Yeah, I think that... Um, 
that fear that I think a lot of Americans maybe had at the time of well, there was a lot of distrust in in the in the political systems of the time. I mean, the '60s were uh, a very it was a very potent political um, time in the history of this country. You know, you had a lot of uh, political momentum uh, for the left, and after the '60s, it was kind of you know with with the nixon administration coming in and getting you know tearing down a lot of that uh that momentum uh and then you know kind of nothing was really the same after the 60s and coming coming to a head with vietnam uh being yeah. such a it was such a unifying moment for a lot of americans where it was like okay we all know this is bad <laughs> Uh, generally speaking, there was, it was more so an, a war that like, people didn't really want to be involved with, and this was after, you know, the the Cuban Missile Crisis and uh, tensions with the Soviet Union being so high and and the Red Scare kind of waning off at this point. Um, and yeah, I guess there, at the time there was just so much paranoia going around um in american society yeah and they didn't know who the they didn't know the the enemy i guess people didn't know who to to trust or who not to trust i mean if i want to use this lens imagine if this is an american uh propaganda film fear of the unknown uh, the only job, the the only duty of the um, zombies is to kill and assimilate, adding everybody into one united front uh, that doesn't care about class or greed or system. Uh, and basically, it's just you know one one working class. Uh, the zombies are all communists, and that's what they represent now. I mean. What if we took it that way and said George Romero's a super patriot and made a super patriotic <laughs> propaganda film in which actually the zombies are just re meant to represent the communist Soviet Union <laughs> and the fear of creeping communism in the United States? Yeah, screw the commies. They're a bunch of brainless bastards. I think that's a direct quote, actually, from Nixon or something. <laughs> Probably, or maybe it was uh, what was his name? Joe McCarthy. The uh, yeah, probably McCarthyism. Yeah, that's yeah. straight out of a McCarthyist uh, playbook, right there, Judah. Anyways, oh, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, the the commentary. I think there there is. I think there is room for interpretation there. Um, and I did, I did read somebody say about like at the end of the film when the police show up or whatever, like the army, whatever it is, they show up in the like, you know, they show up in droves, and they're kind of indistinguishable from the zombies that were used to be there that they killed all of, and they're kind of like the same enemy to Ben. Um, who was he was the last one alive to survive kind of all the the zombie um um horde 
that that broke into the home, and I guess it kind of leans more into that that uh, aspect of the film than I was just kind of describing. I mean, he's he's got his gun ready to shoot too. Yeah, yeah. And then he gets marked. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the very end of the film, yeah? When, like, yeah, the cops yeah, yeah, are rolling yeah. up, ben, and they're like, oh, ben yeah, gets... let's get the last of them. And then, <laughs> and then I love how casually they yeah. are, but it's so abrupt when it happens that I just couldn't help but just start laughing. I'm, like, laughing with Tristan because he's, like, pulling up to the top window, and he's, like, kind of checking out what's going on outside. And the cops are like, oh, look, one over there. And then it's, like, bang. And it's, and it's over before you even know that it happened. Yeah. I feel like it's such an interesting way to like kill off a character like no sad music no like prolonging of the fact that the main character just died just like bang that's it done and then the cop was like oh yeah nice one dude <laughs> and then they yeah. just move on <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's true actually yeah like i don't know if that's just symbolism for anything or if or if uh, George was just kind of like trolling because, like, how, <laughs> I don't know how that adds any good substance to your film when when you do something that abrupt. Is it supposed to be like a shock factor type of thing, or like I don't get it. I don't know why he I would think... just kill him off that quick. I mean. It's certainly for a reason. It's not. It's not like it, that happened for no reason. Um, I think. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can't really think of of what it could mean at the moment. But I, I, I'm sure there is something that he was intending. Uh, with with that, with his death like that. Yeah. I I can't yeah. see it being he him doing that for no reason. Mm-hmm. We could almost say it's um he's indistinguishable. I mean, how many deaths did Ben technically contribute to? <laughs> yeah. Uh shall we say all of them? We could we mm-hmm. could we pin all of their deaths on him? So he's technically a mindless killing machine i mean he also beat up how many of these zombies uh he took a tire iron to the head of three of them he shot a few of them don't know why he doesn't just shoot him in the head the first time because i, mean, I know oh, dude, dude, the worst aim this, of all time he's like this guy's dead i think i'll shoot him in the heart that'll do it <laughs> the heart that obviously is not pumping I mean, uh, yeah. Actually, no, you're um, absolutely right. I have a point to make. Uh, I've, I've, I have a very, very uh, good point to make, and I just kind of want to ask you both a question, real quick. All right. Yeah, throughout, sure. throughout the film, we meet a bunch of people. Who's? I, I, I'll, I'll first ask, who's your favorite character? Did you have one? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I really had a favorite character. I feel like they were all pretty unlikable. 
If I had to pick one, though, if I had to pick one, to. you don't have probably to. the cop that sniped uh, what's his face at the end because he had good aim. <laughs> yeah, no, they all. That's that's my point. The the people are all pretty unlikable, and yeah. it's not like they're. Yeah. I mean, they all have their character flaws, which are natural within humans. I mean, mm-hmm. we all have things that we do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, it, it, you know those, like, the, the movies about the ragtag group of heroes who work together to, you know, take out the, uh, the, the, the evil bad guy and they win the day because all of their variety of skills and, and experiences... This is not what we have here. No. We have a bunch of egotistical, uh, have to be right uh, forces yeah. butting heads. We have the most indecisive woman alive. We have the <laughs> brilliant decision of bringing a torch right next to the stupid gas pump, <laughs> you idiot, <laughs> setting a truck on fire. Uh, we have the brilliant idea of, uh, let's see. I don't know. <clears throat> holding uh, uh holding them off against the door instead of just immediately retreating to the cellar and then leading to Barbara getting taken and just kind of pulled into the mosh pit. Uh What? He just shot Cooper. Um bended because he he can't handle being wrong. He's got to be the force. And Cooper can't handle being wrong. So Cooper's just going to be like, well, you're going to have to shoot me. And he gets shot. You've got, I mean, honestly, you know what? I think the only character with redeeming qualities is Karen, the daughter. <laughs> because the she's so daughter. sweet. She's so sweet. And she's just getting cared for. And then she dies. And then she stabs her mother like sixteen times with a uh, a trowel. Oh yeah, dude, I remember that. Oh my gosh, I think I erased that scene from my memory. I think that's probably the most brutal part of the film, by far. If we're talking like, yeah, if we're talking gore, that was by far the most gruesome. That was like almost like a Friday the Thirteenth esque type of killing. Yeah. And and imagine just laying there and taking it. That's the one thing that I remember um, talking to Tristan about is that she just, like, laid there. She was, like, terrified that her daughter was dead, but she didn't think to, like, run upstairs or anything. She just kind of laid there. She had every opportunity to escape, and she was like, nah, fam, I'm just going to lay here and, uh, you know, get brutally clubbed in the face with a spade. <laughs> See how that like, ends up. She, she's eight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm desensitized, but I'm like, you push that kid down and you crush the skull. You win, <laughs> and then you don't have one inside the house. Yeah, exactly. Like, dude, just kill your daughter. Like, it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You put it like that. <laughs> so like, 
the wife is is you know she's like the one with common sense, but she's also petrified in the face of any major decision whatsoever. Yeah. So like, yeah. they all it, Barbara is in shock for sixty percent of this film. <laughs> Johnny's yeah. a freaking zombie for all of it. And he kind of unintentionally puts her in this way by just by being mean to the guy. I mean, can okay, a new ethical debate. Can you be mean to a zombie? Can you be mean to a zombie? Uh, no. Can you insult a zombie? No, can a zombie is. Of course you can be mean, but it doesn't have any emotions. Its emotion is must kill. Yeah. That's its brain capacity. I must mean, kill at all costs. It's like robotic. It's very robotic. Yeah. Yeah. I can't recall a zombie film that I've watched where a zombie has emotions. I mean, unless you consider Bill Murray and makeup in Zombieland an emotional zombie. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you could be mean to a zombie. Because zombies don't have emotions, but they do have intelligence. Yeah. Right? Terrifying. So maybe, like, the right side, the right hemisphere of their brain is firing up, but not the left. That controls emotions. I don't know. That's a really stupid thing to say. <laughs> no, I mean, I think the point of... I mean, you could say it's a really good job or you could say it's a really bad job because I'm not really rooting for any of these characters to succeed. Like, I don't really care if they live or die. Am I kind of alarmed by the uh, brutality and gruesomeness of these, you know, murders and eating of people and, you know, the the, the, the barbecue that the, the zombies are kind of treated to halfway through? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like... I'm not I'm not really rooting for anybody. I don't really care how they get through it. I kind of want to see them get through it, but you know, when Ben gets shot at the end after following what Mr. Cooper suggested they do in the first place, I said good. I'm like, yeah. You fought and fought against. You wanted to be the righteous killer of all of them instead of just hiding out and taking cover and being smart about it, I guess. And good. You got him killed. You then used his plan. So you agreed with Cooper that they should have stayed in the basement the entire time? No, I'm just saying, if you're gonna fight against him for the entire film, get kill him, and then realize, oh, I'm gonna do that exact thing that he suggested, while then also putting zombie Cooper out of his misery. I I think that that, that kind of is... I, I feel like that's a double standard, that he's kind of doubled back on his word, uh, only just taking out competition. And, you know... I'm yeah, I'm totally deserved. okay with him getting shot in the head. I'm totally fine with that. 
Yeah. I I have a I have a passage from one of my favorite uh, uh, critics or reviewers on that I follow on Letterboxd, Darren Carver Balsinger. Uh, this is a this is something that I think I was kind of mentioning with in, in terms of the um um the thematic content of the film. Uh, so this is what he writes. As for the substance, we have the zombies slowly drifting toward our heroes, providing constant suspense of what we're heading towards. The use of a TV as communication with the outside world, the importance of television and defining the Vietnam War. And this is a film about drifting into our nightmares, slowly walking into total annihilation via proxy. This is the epitome of Cold War fear. Night of the Living Dead is a statement of the America uh, of the 60s. If one can watch guts being spilled by real soldiers on our television screens, why can't we watch fictional ghouls terrorize our protagonists in gory, messed up ways? The militarization of a nation and the fear being spread around is shown in the movie as militias form to fight the zombies, perhaps for the good of the world, but also perhaps for the thrill of killing others. Of race is brilliant and too progressive. Wilson's actions and characterization are as black, colorblind, and George A. Romero presumes his audience won't judge. A brave move in 60s America. Ben is the most heroic character, and the tension between him and the other characters can be viewed as racial tension. And then, most importantly, the film undertakes the final irony when our uh, black hero is murdered not by the zombies, but by the gun gun toting. But that was just a, a version of that. Right. That was um shed sheds light on the sort of I guess more yeah. um although I mean it's pretty that way. You could just view it straight as like, okay, it's a zombie movie. Um, and, you know, these characters are freaking out, rightfully so, and they're trying to deal with this um, very tricky situation uh, on the on the fly. But, man, I, I really, I don't know, I really need to rewatch this because, well, for one, I need to be awake. Uh, and fully aware and fully conscious and not uh, falling in and out of sleep every five minutes. <laughs> That's number one. Yeah. Um, so I can be fully, you know, fully aware and in, in, in my brain's at 100% capacity uh, when watching this film. Because mm -hmm. I, I definitely would want to give it a second try considering the, uh, the um, cult... Um, following that it has and its influence. I mean, we talk about zombie movies today, and zombie, the zombie genre is such a huge genre, uh, subgenre of horror. Like it's probably the biggest one, and this film is solely responsible for, you know, igniting that that subgenre and pushing it. Uh, to a point of of such peak cultural relevance, 
and it still has cultural relevance to this day. I mean, not as much as it used to have, but I mean, you're still going to be seeing zombie zombie movies until you know probably the day we die. But um, George Romero is like responsible for, um, you know, starting that. He's a pioneer. He's a trailblazer, and there are so many film films and filmmakers that were influenced by this work and by his other works, you know, Dawn of the Dead and um Day of the Dead. Although I know Dawn of the Dead is considered to be his best work. Um so I would definitely I definitely I'm definitely adding that to my watch list. Because uh, I think I think that one's more like a action horror film, if I'm if I'm correct. Or mo- maybe I have it's just no more- clue. I have no maybe clue. it's just more street horror, but yeah, I haven't seen it either. But either way, I mean, yeah, I really need to give Night of the Living Dead like a second viewing to get a more uh, honest um, opinion of it. Yeah, I mean, maybe one more viewing at best. Talking about how it's a pioneer for other zombie films, I'm just thinking about all of the amazing movies I've seen that were, you know, given birth to by Night of the Living Dead. Like, as far as, like, practical effects, and then even, like, continuing the theme of, like, what we can learn about ourselves as human beings when we're put in a state of crisis. I mean, you talk about not just movies, but shows like The Walking Dead, where it literally just becomes about the different tribes of people banded together, the conflicts and the resolutions and all of that stuff. Um, I guess you could kind of tie that in to, you know, how the characters deal with conflict in Night of the Living Dead. That's that's like a continuous theme that that you can see in other you know, undead films. I do want to ask you guys, though, just kind of like a um, a tangent, I guess. But I was reading up on the film, and apparently, I don't know about, like, nudity in films in, like, the 60s or anything like that. But there is one shot where they had one nude, um, undead actress lady. And apparently, that was, like, a big deal for the town when they were filming because... <laughs> it, it kind of spread like a rumor and when i was reading up on it they basically said that like a bunch of the townspeople lined up lawn chairs where they were filming just to watch them shoot that scene <laughs> just so they could see like the nude actress <laughs> oh my god bro but i i want to say like i i've watched older films that are like i don't know rated r per se but never seen any nudity is that like is that more common than I think it is? Or is this kind of like a one-off thing where this film just decided to put a naked person in it? Well, I know I know that um, for a very long time in the film industry in America, there were there what we call the code era that was essentially um, brought upon by the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church had, I don't know how they had this influence over the, the in the you know, turn of the century, so like 1950s. Um, I think that that 50-year span, 
there was very like you had to be very restricted not only with nudity but just like words that you can't say like you can't use swear words in your films it was very it was very interesting um and you know a lot of those like golden age hollywood classics like 40s and 50s like you know with the wind, right? Like, uh, that famous line where he says, uh, um, he's, 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 you don't like about, uh, which one? Who's tossing the? Gone with the wind. Gone Is with ben? the wind. The most famous, the f most oh. famous line from Gone frankly, with the wind. Frankly, my dear, I don't. Frankly, oh, my yeah. dear, frankly, I, don't my dear I don't give a damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big deal because he used "damn." That's like that was considered taboo at the time. You know. Oh. So, like, when, oh. When when that when saying a word like "damn" is considered taboo, like nudity was basically banned it was barred from being shown and i i don't know i don't know the history but, of how that the the code era um kind of came to an end um but eventually did come to an end and and so you know like people had more artistic liberties uh with their writing and and other things in their films um yeah I mean, but I mean, you still had cases in which where films were deemed a little too extreme for the general public. Um, one famous example being Clockwork Orange, which came out in 71, I believe, or 73. Um, Kubrick film, uh, masterpiece. Uh, but yeah, that film was a little, that was, that was deemed a little too much. Yeah, it came out in 71. A little too much uh, for general audiences. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the ratings are super interesting. Yeah. And the MPAA started in introducing that uh, the voluntary rating by late 60s, 68. And, like, nudity was starting to get, you know, more, I guess, either popular or featured. Had... I mean, Marilyn Monroe would have gone nude for two films in the early 60s. Uh, both of them uh, ended up being scrapped. Uh, the scene was cut at the final cut, or it wasn't relevant to the story or something, but she would have been the first mainstream actress to be nude on film. But also, like, this late 60s, early 70s era of kind of... You could go both with... Um, nude pictures but also with gore and uh, that sort of thing a lot of directors really pushing what you could show on screen like the first texas chainsaw massacre i think that came out in 73 or 71 mm -hmm. one of the two I thought, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bank on 73 like it is from all that i've heard and clips that i've seen it's gruesome because at this point, you're just trying to push the limits and see what you can actually show on screen. Yeah, I remember watching that with um, my uncle for the very first time. My uncle is a, uh, he's a writer and producer. 
and he loves the horror genre. So he said, if I'm going to start off in horror, that's the first movie I need to watch. And I do remember that movie being very gruesome, especially in the context that it is, you know, the seventies, like they showed a lot of really effed up stuff. Like everything from, you know, what the killer was doing with the chainsaw to like putting people on meat hooks to showing dead bodies. Like, yeah, that was definitely, (laughs) definitely squeamish for sure. And, and honestly, probably, I would probably say worse than Night of the Living Dead. I would probably say, yeah. Oh, like a worse film? Not a worse film, but as far as like what they showed in terms of gore, oh, I would oh, say yeah. Texas uh, had more shock value. Yeah, and that's something too. Like the practical effects in Night of the Living Dead, I noticed that one guy was literally eating like short ribs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was like he was eating baby back ribs, and I was reading up on that too, where they basically used chocolate syrup and red dye depending on what they wanted the consistency of the blood to look like, because it was all shot in black and white. Yeah. So that's what they used for blood. And I think I I looked at the budget. I think it was something like $125,000 is all they had. It might have been less than that, but it was like super cheap. Yeah. Uh, Does anybody want to fact check that? Because I I think that's what it was. Yeah, you can look that up. But uh, I, I, I found out the code things that I was talking about. Just to okay. clarify. Okay, so there was a pre-code era in which the Catholic Church had kind of unwritten rules, essentially, for Hollywood productions. There was about 30, 36 of them. There was like 36 rules. Um, one of them, funnily enough had white slavery like you couldn't show white slavery on the screen that was one of the rules dude what (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) yeah um you couldn't show sedition or branding um a man and woman in bed together like just laying down in bed Ooh. you couldn't show it's complicated you couldn't show the institution of marriage um titles or scenes having to do with law enforcement or law enforcing officers um this other, just proves to me the catholics are soft the other there's yeah there's other dumb rules but anyways that was a pre-code era and then after that was the Hayes code which started in 1934 and ended in 1968 this was um put into place by Will Will H. Hayes, president of the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America. And yeah, a lot of these, I guess it was a whole pamphlet of rules. I'm not going to go into it. And it was pretty hardcore. People had to follow it. Yeah. Um, And then that ended. But that's kind of what I was referring to, uh, just to clarify the codes. And then after that, I mean, I don't think there was much any censorship and restriction for artists or for filmmakers in the, in America after that, for Hollywood production, at least. So is this like the first of its kind then as far as like the gore that they show on screen and the nudity? Or is there, were there be. films before that that had like cult status that, you know, 
people I know think, about. I think there it are, might. I think it might be. I mean, there were plenty that featured nudity um, before this one. I think this is this might be the most well known, or at least the most culturally or you know historically important of any of those. Not like not like it's like a common you know farce that's not really you know saying anything. It's just you know a good time to spend out with the family where there's some nudity in that one. Like this is <laughs> one where you could it 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 pioneers the horror genre in the zombie film, and it also happens to feature for a few frames a naked zombie. Yeah, I mean, I think. It again, just it's another way to push what can possibly go on screen. What are what are what's the government going to say about this? What uh will what will people say about this? Are they going to say it's disgusting? Are they going to say it's obscene? Protests against it, a lot of protests all the time. Um, yep. but like. I don't, I don't, I'm certain it was not the first released film to feature nudity. Um, Oh, no, most certainly not. It wasn't the first film to have nudity in it. That's, yeah, that's certainly not the case. But it, um, I I mean, it's interesting how that kind of ties in, like, nudity and blood and gore, like, I feel like now, if you're a horror movie and you're going for like the R rating, you could you could kind of just go for it all. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to skirt around it and show murders off screen. If you're gonna go for gore, you can show whatever you want because you're already gonna be rated R. So like, yeah. you can show blood, you can show guts, the the murders, disembowelment, whatever you want to show, and then oh no. There's also naked people. Yes. Chilling. Naked people chilling. Yeah. I mean, heck, for cla- for one of my classes, I'm watching Hair, which is pioneering Broadway mu- musical. Also uh, debuted in the 60s. Uh, that was known as the first Broadway musical to feature nudity. No, really. <laughs> the whole cast uh, would be naked on stage. Um, and it, it was a, a concept musical that just basically talks about the issues of the day. Racism, drug use, uh, sexual freedom, uh, burning draft cards, the Vietnam War. You know, the the war between the generations, all that. I mean, hair covered very, very similar topics as this this does. Um, though way more literally, not an allegory, not hidden meaning, none of that. They're they're actually talking about Vietnam when they're talking about Vietnam. Yeah. But that was the first Broadway show to feature nudity. I mean, there are are more now, um, not as many, certainly, but there are, it it was the very first one, and it was shocking. For people who went to the theater. Yeah, I bet. 
Yeah, imagine some like conservative family going to watch like a Broadway show. <laughs> like some 14-year-old kid sees their first pair and the parents are mortified. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. hilarious. <laughs> I would pay money to see that. Yeah, I mean I'm watching a video of the tooth it's took place in 2009. There the I've seen I'm not even done and there are two already seen two male butts and i'm like okay mm-hmm that's fair yep yep i think i've just decided that hair's not my show yeah probably not no probably not it doesn't sound like it's my type of thing either <laughs> also one of the first rock Maybe and roll things. Things. wait what yeah, it might be interesting thing what? Tristan, are you into naked man butts? No. What? <laughs> Bruh. Come on, it's art, Tristan. It's art. It is art. It was a, you know, we test the limits of what we could put on stage, on screen, on anything. On canvas. Yeah. Yeah. On camera. On Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We strayed so far away from talking about the movie, but it's okay. I think we've had a good conversation about, you know, history of, history of cinema in America. Indeed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I didn't rate this movie very high. Like, I think that we touched on a lot of the main points about, you know, what themes it represents and, you know, kind of like talking about the context of the Vietnam War and all of that. But I don't know. I feel like there's like little nit picky things that you can kind of tangent off of like the naked woman like the discrepancies and the cuts in the film like there's also just funny stuff in it that's just unintentionally funny like just strewn throughout i mean just the dialogue itself like i know that max was talking about how like half the dialogue was unscripted because it was just straight garbage <laughs> But then somehow yeah. that, you know, became so much worse <laughs> in the back and forth dialogues. I mean, yeah. the film feels its age. That's for sure. I think it does. It, yeah, it it's, does. It's a product of its time, most definitely. Yeah. You want to know what you guys need to watch is Evil Dead. That. Oh, Sam Raimi. Is my favorite classic horror movie. So good. Max, you're covering your eyes. I promise you, you will enjoy that film. You will. It's I've, very good. I've seen Army of Darkness. And I'm Sammy's upset. Because there, there was only one bone pun in the entire thing. I think there might be two in the first one, if you want to watch that. Possibly. Don't take my word for it. I'm just trying to get you to watch it. <laughs> I do want to see Dawn of the Dead now. But yeah, yeah. Let's take a look at. Let's take a look. Twenty-eight days later, I do want to see that as well. Dawn of the Dead. Well, I mean, were either of you scared by this film at all? Night of the Living Dead. No, I found it amusing. Yeah, yeah. I found it amusing. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you on that. Not concerning, stressing at all. Mm-mm. No, no. I was more right. amu- yeah, I was amused by it. I was, I was a little bit more on the uneasy side. 
But <laughs> although to be fair, I was falling asleep. So take my take with a grain of salt. That's okay. That's fair. Don't worry. You won't be asleep for this next one. Do you mind if I? Oh yeah, let's let's talk about it. Okay, all yeah. right. All so, right. We thank all of you for participating in our polls on Instagram at odyssey.of.cinema. Follow us there. We'll we'll try and send out some more. You know, we'll have some good stuff ready. Um, we'll try and you know foster some more engagement and hopefully uh, you enjoy. And I want to give a shout out to uh, my dear friend Matt Howe who put uh, who voted for House. Um, yes, shout out to you, Matt. Very good, uh, very good vote. Unfortunately, it does lose out. Uh, we will be releasing a bonus episode next week on Halloween, October thirty first, as well as an originally scheduled episode for November first. So Halloween, yeah, double duty. Halloween bonus episode that maybe will scare Tristan a little too much this time. <laughs> That's <laughs> gonna terrify me, dude. I'm gonna have to I have to get some diapers, bro. Don't worry, you can hold my hand. <laughs> Again, just just watch it when it's daylight out. Yeah, that'll I... help. <laughs> no, we're we'll watching help. it at two AM after I've overfed you and you're bloated and you can't move anywhere, so you feel claustrophobic while you're watching it. Oh my god. <laughs> but the film we're talking about. Yeah. The film we're talking about is A24's Hereditary, directed by Ari Aster. Dude, good luck, Tristan. <laughs> Dude, hey, can we? Uh, can I call a white flat? Can I call a uh, a buy? No, check? we, we respect a... the will of the people. Can I do a? <laughs> Maybe it was a fluke. It was a fluke vote count. Maybe if we do it again, they'll vote for a different movie. <laughs> no. I'm going to make sure that Tristan watches this film. Oh. Yeah. But, but as a consolation for Dearest Tristan, our originally scheduled film for uh, November 1st, <laughs> David Lynch's <laughs> Eraserhead. Ooh. That one's that one that one's uh not that scary. Okay, good. That Watch that scary. one first then. <laughs> no, I think um <laughs> 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 I don't know which one. I don't know which one I'm gonna watch first. All I know is that when I'm watching Hereditary, I'm gonna be covering my eyes for like whenever it gets dark and the there's no music playing. And the camera is slowly zooming in on like some dark corner of the room or whatever. Oh my goodness! Look, 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 get a load like, of this guy. I'm gonna be like, Tristan, oh. I'm gonna put you in that saw trap that like forces your eyes to stay open. Dude, what is wrong with you? Hey, we're in the spirit of Halloween, right? Like, come on! I don't want you. I don't want you to wimp out watching this film. The people asked for it. You got to do yeah, it. I'm watching it. I'm watching it. No, close your eyes. No, I'm going to close my eyes if I need to. <laughs> well, I guess it really is that scary. It's, I've actually never scary, seen it. No, haven't you seen it, Judah? No, I haven't. I think I the haven't. only A24 horror films that I've seen was uh, Men or Man. Yeah, we watched Men. that one together. And yeah, then Men. 
I watched Midsummer, which was a crazy trip. That a lot of people yeah, didn't like Ari that Aster. film. I really liked Midsummer. Yeah, that was another Ari Aster film. Yeah. So I've watched those too. But yeah. Uh, from what people have told me, Hereditary takes the cake for being incredibly unsettling and hard to get out of your brain. So, best of I'm luck, not, fellas. I'm not looking forward to it. I mean, neither am I, but, you know, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. I.e. us. I mean, do we need to? still caught up on not wanting to watch. Tristan, I just want to let you know, you were on the record defying the popular vote of the people. This just in, Tristan Rodriguez, tyrant, dictator, czar. I knew it. Who will be the first... (laughs) No, I'm kidding. We're going to talk about it, and I'm going to... Man, I'm going to (laughs) be... I'm not going to be happy about watching this. I'm just putting that out there. Fine. Yeah. We'll, do, we'll, we'll do another bonus episode of Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. <laughs> or Scooby-Doo 2. Um, what is it called? What's the subtitle for that? Scooby-Doo 2? Monsters Unleashed? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. You know the classic scene when Shaggy and Scooby are in the lab and they're drinking chemicals from the flasks and stuff? And, yes. <laughs> and Scooby becomes Albert Einstein for a minute, <laughs> and Shaggy, Shaggy grows grows some like giant arms, gets all ripped, and then the next second he's like a woman. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, Matthew if you Miller. need Max, I can film Tristan. When the scary parts are coming up, so that you can have those clips to use per your discretion. Actually, that's a fantastic idea. Uh, if you if you follow us on Instagram at odyssey.of.cinema, you can maybe tune into some bonus footage of Tristan losing his mind and maybe the contents of his bladder. <laughs> <It'd be> great. <laughs> Tristan watches but... horror films with a blanket halfway up his face. He looks incredibly hilarious <laughs> but the this i mean that's what's coming up um hereditary october 31st the very next day a new episode of Eraserhead uh, with, uh, from david lynch back to back but then, and then the week after oh you thought we were lightening up are you crazy the week after, November 8th, we've got There Will Be Blood. Let's go! Never seen it, but I heard it's it's uh, the best of its kind. I've heard that I think you blood. have seen it. Or you, did, I, you watched I it? I have you never seen it. it. I've only seen the TikTok edits where it's literally like oh. best acting of all time. And it's like, I've abandoned my boy! <laughs> my child! <laughs> I've abandoned my child! Yeah. That's oh, that's oh, my uh, extent of knowledge for that film, but that that's an exciting lineup, guys. That's gonna be great. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm really looking forward to There Will Be Blood. Oh my god, Max, have, you haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it. Nope. Oh my god. Th- this will be the first PTA that you're gonna be blown away by. Trust me. Trust me. 
Yeah, uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> I'm so skeptical. I want you to be known. I'm so skeptical. Okay. <laughs> I I should have taken a picture of your face right then. <laughs> oh my god, bro. Alright, so but, hereditary man. Oh my god. There we are. And and it's and it's like that's that's like one of the films that everybody and their mom is like, oh, if you want a good horror film, watch Hereditary. Oh, Ari Aster, one of the best living filmmakers of his generation. And I'm like, bro, what are you talking about, dog? You're just stuck on film Twitter. You're an A24 fan. <laughs> you haven't seen anything by a filmmaker that hasn't been hasn't hasn't used A24 as their um their uh distributor okay so mm -mm 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 -mm. miss me with that please <laughs> <laughs> yeah max did i Everybody did i did i just <laughs> that wasn't targeted at you by the way no i i i know for a fact that it wasn't because i don't consume horror i also cannot say that i say ari aster is one of the best film directors of this time because i haven't seen any of his films I mean, you're you're really not missing much. I, I mean, it's not I a lot of honest, shock value. Look, I know, I know we're dragging on at this point, but hot take it's... for this episode: Ari Aster is kind of it's kind of mid. Although I've only seen one of his films. <laughs> I second that. Midsummer was pretty good, but but yeah, as far I mean, as he, he's only like... released three, though he's only released three. He's only released three. Uh, Midsummer, Hereditary, and um, Bo is Afraid. Oh, is that the one with Joaquin? Yeah. Yep. Oh. That came out this year. That came out this year. <clears throat> but Midsummer, yeah. I didn't... Eh, Midsummer. I mean, it was good. I'm just... I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm exaggerating my take, as I usually do. Yeah, but... That's what's coming up. <clears throat> This was Night of the Living Dead for the most part. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but partially, yeah. And then Many we kind of on a tangent. Yeah. But productive tangent. Yeah. But, but many um, thanks to Judah for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks Hopefully, on. we can do it again and uh, maybe hop on an episode where I've seen the film multiple times. I feel like I probably have more interesting things to say at that point but regardless this has been a lot of fun and uh love what you guys do thanks bro thanks appreciate yes. it you should yeah, see max's uh, smile and uh and um you know for anyone that is interested in coming on and um being a special guest just let us know you're more than welcome to come on um and it's easier now to 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 now come on because you'll know what films we're watching. So, you know, if you <laughs> you'll be able to have the chance to come on because <laughs> prior we didn't we didn't even know what we were watching until like a couple of days before recording. <laughs> now we got a whole month. Now we have a schedule. Um, but anyways, thank you for listening. Um, 
Yeah, next episode, our bonus bonus Halloween episode, Hereditary from Ari Aster. And then uh, beginning on our regular regularly scheduled program the next day, we got uh, Eraserhead from David Lynch. That's his debut, uh, directorial debut feature. Um, and then there will be Blood the week after that. Uh, but uh, this has been the Cinematic Odyssey. Thank you for tuning in here on United to the Moose. Catch us uh, next week. Um, this has been Night of the Living Dead, George Romero, forever. <laughs>